Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Dawes for Innovation in Tech Today, and this is Innovation Tech Talks, Episode 31. In this episode, we'll confront the alarming reality plaguing the United States, the escalating frequency and severity of wildfires. Over the past decade, these devastating infernos have surged, leaving death and destruction in their wake and altering landscapes on a scale not seen since we began keeping records. We'll explore the contributing factors behind this surge, from drought conditions to human factors to forest management practices. And we'll discuss how technology can help combat the problem. My guests today are David Archuleone and Jeffrey Lightman, authors of the new book, Running Out of Time, How Wildfires Are Imperiling Our Forests. Fellas, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. So, um, I guess we'll start by just uh, asking each of you to give a, a bit of a background for the uh, for the listeners and uh, and let us know where you're coming at this issue from. If you'll start us off, David. Sure. So I'm Dave Archuleone. I'm the co-author of the book with Jeff, uh, "Running Out of Time: Wildfires in Our Imperiled Forest." We uh, took on this project because of our backgrounds. One, I'm a corporate turnaround executive. We run over 200 different businesses and successfully uh, saved over 25,000 jobs over my career, uh, restructured a bunch of debt, been dealt primarily with complex organizations facing the viability of survival. So understand the stress, understand crisis, and and my background uh, led us into this uh, endeavor. That's a little bit about me. And Jeff? Well, after uh, a little bit of a, uh, me as this a little bit after my uh, military service, I transitioned to, into base, uh, into business. First, it's a senior marketing and sales executive for Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and India for uh, a uh, large logistics company while I was living in the, the Netherlands. Um, subsequent assignments took me from logistics to more than 20 years in marketing and general management. For large corporations, and uh, I was a VP of Lockheed, and later as a vice president for private industry affairs for a large airport trade association. And I uh, subsequently either had the good fortune or not of uh, being the president, the vice senior vice president, general manager of a regional airline based in Indianapolis with uh, operational headquarters in in Washington. But I started a consultancy uh, in 1993 where I served as the president and CEO with a focus on Fortune 50 companies in the aerospace and aviation industries. Um, our emphasis was on logistics, strategic planning, organization training, as well as corporate and military scenario planning, which gave me uh, a great deal of insight into the complexities of not just corporate America, but also of governments here in the United States and globally. It sounds like both of you are uh, are corporate turnaround um, artists, and I've dealt with uh, some of those plans before, and they can get very in-depth. And of course, your book, Running Out of Time, is a very in-depth exploration of this topic. But I can't help but notice that neither of you come to this issue from the fire service so uh, what makes you think you're, uh, you're qualified to weigh in on this very technical and uh, intractable problem? We get that question a lot, Jim. 
And the, you know, the short answer is Jeff and I and a couple of other individuals tried to acquire an aerial firefighting company back in 2011. We were unsuccessful in that bid, but over the past 10 years, we've done extensive research into forest management practices, forest suppression practices, and as a result of that in-depth research, felt that we were ideally suited to talk about, and hence the book. Um, When we started writing the book, we were encouraged by not only our colleagues, but we were also encouraged by experts in the forestry field, and as a result of the work we completed, we've actually received very strong endorsements from the president and foundation president of uh, the National Foresters Association, um, another individual in charge of the Evergreen Foundation, and a third individual who does a daily blog and daily informational information piece on healthy forests and healthy communities. So they kind of looked at our findings, looked at our research, and concluded that despite our lack of forestry experience, the proposals we lay out and the findings are very germane to the current situation and crisis the country faces. Well, you know, Jeff, uh, that was sort of a rhetorical question because I, I do understand uh, that coming from outside an issue uh, with a, you know, an expertise in an organization that uh, fresh eyes can be quite valuable on a topic. Uh, if uh, there are any listeners that aren't aware, I spent 30 years in the fire service myself, not in wildland firefighting, but but in the urban firefighting setting. And I can tell you that this is a very dense and well-researched book that uh, would be of great value to uh, to any uh, anybody in leadership in the wildland firefighting uh, segment. Jeff, if you could, could you just sort of describe the problem and uh, and is it in fact getting worse? It seems that every year the wildland firefighters, especially out west, wildland fires, especially out west, uh, seem to be getting uh, more widespread, more frequent, and more intense. Is that an accurate uh, perception? Yes, absolutely. Uh, they are getting, and they have been. Uh, they have been over the last, uh, what is it, David? Ten, ten to fifteen years, they've gotten worse, much worse. If we have larger. There probably been, uh, and I think that the numbers in the book, there may have been less wildfires at some point, but they were more, uh, but they were larger, and you're they burned fewer in number, but more more uh, severe, more severe, and burn more acreage, uh, and so that is the problem. But the 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 reason for it um, is multifaceted. It's it's a very, as you said, very, very complex issue. Uh, the complexities that the fire service deals with on a daily basis is uh, stupefying. I mean, we're talking about local, uh, local, regional, national uh, laws and uh, things that that uh, that impinge upon um, the the firefighting response. Uh, but as David and I both agree, the issue really is first put out the fire. And that's basically the premise of what has to happen. And everything from there actually comes from that decision, that policy decision 
rather than what it is today. So, David, what is a, a, a typical firefighting season in the last few years? Uh, what is the toll that it takes uh, on lives and property and uh, the economy and our natural resources? Okay, let's let's talk about that. So to follow up on what Jeff said, so in the last 15 years, the average acreage burned have doubled to 7.3 million acres a year. There's roughly 60,000 incidents of wildfires each year. And of those incidents, roughly 60% of those occur in the East Coast, surprisingly. But the fires are small. They're, they're basically 20, 30, 30 acres or less. The vast majority of the large fires are in the 15 most fire-prone states. And they cost the country every year, order of magnitude, $300 billion in damages. Those are both direct costs of putting out the fire, the cost of insurance premiums that are increased, increased utility bills as a result of fires and uh, from utility companies having to barrier fire lines or truck their lines. Um, And that cost is... Of all the natural disasters in the world, it's the third largest cost behind tornadoes and droughts of all of our natural disasters. And frankly, it's the only one of the three that we can control. So the opportunity is there for us to take a look at means and ways to control wildfires better. We'll never control them completely, but we think our findings that we have I'm an outline of what that might look like. So we're having a major debate right now about the $100 billion plus that we've sent to Ukraine. You're talking about wildfires uh, doing three times that, costing us three times that much each and every year. Yes, each year. It's, it's staggering. And, it's, um, and when you look at underneath that in terms of where the costs are, are, are being incurred, it's, it's you know, Forest management, it's, it's forest suppress, for wildfire suppression. Those two factors are really kind of a minuscule part of the total cost. But it's something that, that we as a country need to really re-examine and harden. So, Jeff, uh, that it, takes us takes to the question of what, what is to be done about this. So what how are we falling short in preventing and uh, suppressing wildfires? And what could we do better? Well, let let me add one thing to what David said. In the last three years alone, there's been a 300% increase in property loss as a result of those fires. And uh, so it's a a big number. The answer to your question. Let let me follow up on that then. Uh, And is a great deal of that uh, being caused by uh, development pushing into uh, formerly... um, Unpopulated yes. areas uh, close to the to the uh, to the forest and in the wildland airspace. Yes, and as a matter of fact, that is one of the complexities that the the uh, the Forest Service have to deal with. the 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 issue uh, related to that that is that's uh, the problem is that local governments have not put ordinances in place that would prevent people. From building in the into into the uh, wildland urban interface, and that's where you get issues like paradise, and you get the 
uh, you know, with this loss of life and tremendous loss of uh, property and loss, and loss of forests. With uh, Paradise, that was a town in Northern California that had, uh, had uh, it, it went from a, a small um, community to a, a fairly substantial town uh, surrounded by a national forest. And, uh, and what was it, three years ago now that it, uh, yeah. four years ago now that it uh, completely burned the town out and destroyed everybody's home. There's nothing left of the town at all. And 85, 85 lives were lost that fire. But they're rebuilding, they're rebuilding it, which is really, you know. I, I saw a news story on that that said that they were going to try to uh, have some sort of fireproof building code. How realistic is that? Your guess, I'm not being a smart guy. Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know how they're going to start to address these issues. Uh, and th and it is a local, this is the local state part of this that's problematic. Well, you know, down here in Florida, uh, after Hurricane Andrew, uh, they, they determined that we were going to have to start taking these uh, hurricanes seriously, and they, they uh, adopted new building codes, and it has been a sea change in how much damage uh, we take now. So, David, I'll throw it over to you. What is to be done? Where, where are we falling short in uh, our current practices of uh, suppression and, and prevention, and what could we do? Uh, and are there any technical solutions that could uh, help us with this? So, just to put it in context, we, we have roughly 100 million acres of forests that are at risk of serious wildfire events. That's roughly 20% of the federal land that currently uh, are in, in the U.S. The communities affected, there's 70,000 communities that could be affected by that event, representing 46 million homes. Those are not our numbers. Those are U.S. Department of Agriculture numbers. And so we consider that to be a crisis situation. That's, that's our assessment. We, you know, we think that that many people put at risk for wildfire events not to speak of the smoke inhalation that currently exists we're seeing Canadian fires. They're really, really impacting the country. And so the, to set the stage, it's not just, you know, the wildfire events. It's how we manage our forest. It's the smoke that results from wildfires. Those are the factors that caused us to write the book. And we do have some ideas. Well, that's it, Robert. Okay, so to Jeff's point, first and foremost, we've got to first put out the fire. There's a policy currently in place at the U.S. Forest Service, and frankly, at some of the states as well, that say it's okay to let a fire burn in its initial initial uh, encounter with with you know a forest fire. Yeah. The idea the idea of which is that it may be environmentally sensitive to have a fire burn. Will let the forest naturally regenerate itself. Well, that used to be called a controlled burn. That used to be called the controlled burn, and those those are no longer really controlled very much, as we saw last year in the New Mexico fire, Mexico. which basically came, ran out of control after it started in a so-called prescribed burn. So our view is that prescribed burns represent something in the toolkit that can be used on a very limited basis, but in a pragmatic, practical matter, most communities, when you go to ask for permission 
to have a prescribed burn in your community. You've got to get permission from the local authorities. Residents come unglued because, my God, we're going to have a smoke event in our community that's going to destroy our daily life. And so it's been very hard to get a prescribed burn practice in place. Our view is we've got to start using technology much more effectively in terms of dealing with our forest management practices. And so in the book, we've identified several ideas uh, that we think are realistic in terms of starting to deal with both wildfire suppression and forest management. So, Jeff, you mentioned that you two were trying to put together an aviation uh, firefighting operation and uh, couldn't overcome those obstacles. How how is uh, how can the aviation uh, firefighting be reformed to make it most, more effective? So, um, well, there's a two part answer to that. First of all, I had had uh, some experience for a client with uh, one of the aerial uh, firefighting companies prior to meeting David. And it was a, it was interesting. This was a preeminent firefighting uh, aerial firefighting company, um, and uh, but it's when you look at what has to happen as a response, and I think that's what you're asking me is, you know, what has to happen. Well, I'm asking uh, how to detect them early so that they can be um, uh, extinguished in their incipient phases, and how can uh, aerial firefighting uh, aid in that? Okay. The, the first thing is communications, is the complexity of the system, the cross-governmental system, is really cumbersome. I mean, you have to go through three or four different steps from the guy who's in the field to getting the permission to put aerial assets on a fire. And it can take sometimes up to three or four days to happen, happen. Instead of the immediate response is the communication has to go from whoever sees the fire. And that's a whole nother, that's a technical discussion in and of itself. We have the ability to see lightning strikes and we have the ability to see ignition. And so and if you can see that, Using the GOES satellite system. Geosynchronous orbit. Yes. Thank you. Uh, is the response should be to the firefighter in the, in the firehouse and to the airport, to somebody in an airplane or two or three airplanes, to go and put the fire out. We have adequate aerial assets to, uh, to put together a, a nationwide quick response uh, two fires that are in their incipient phases so we don't lose these tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of acres. Yeah, this is like MTM. This is like, a, you know, a multi-front war. Um, David, I'll let, if, if David wants to jump in here, um, the answer to your question is, no, we don't have enough assets. Well, tell me about that. We, so currently there, this is a shocking number, I think, but there are currently 15 large aerial tankers available nationwide by far, eight, 15. On a, a smaller... Your, your typical state Air National Guard has got more air uh, air assets than that. And they rarely deploy. Yes, and, and they're rapidly deployed. But in the case of the federal government, 15 airplanes for fighting fires, and then they have an additional 
60 single engine air tanker fleet, smaller planes. We believe that actually is a, a good vehicle that could be expanded upon right away to put out fires immediately. So to Jeff's point, when the fire bell rings on the station at the same time at that airport, an advanced air base that's already been established, a seat airplane, single engine air tanker, put in the air, one, two, or three, put them in the air. The cost of doing so and putting out a small fire is very inexpensive versus the cost of letting it burn. It would be uh, an investment that would just keep on giving. Well, our, our work indicates that that fleet of two or three planes might cost $100,000 to deploy and put out the fire. The Rand Corporation put out a study that said if you didn't put out the fire in that initial incident, each incident would cost $4.2 million. The return on investment of $100,000 versus a cost of $4.2 million, it seems pretty simple to us that that would be a non-brainer, right? No-brainer. A no-brainer. Why, uh, why hasn't somebody figured this out and, uh, and addressed the issue? In our view, there seems to be a culture inside the federal and many state agencies that protect the environment at all costs. And fire suppression is considered to be kind of an ugly word, a bad word, and anything related to fire suppression is is frowned upon. Our view is that's, that's kind of certainly story. not the popular view. The popular view would be if I've if I've got a, a house, say out in California or, or the Pacific Northwest, and uh, and I'm seeing these uh, these wildland fires every year that I would want uh, those assets brought in uh, to bear. And it seems to me, uh, again, I was an urban firefighter, and I'm not that knowledgeable on wildland firefighters, but you've got these geosynchronous satellites that can spot lightning strikes and uh, and fires, so you can have a quick response force. It seems like there should be a fleet of, of, uh, of water tankers. Actually, they don't use water. They use... Uh, they use uh, both. They use they, both. This, they use both. The seats actually would be using water. The air tankers would be using retardant. Retardant. But, but both of which are very effective in terms the seats putting out the fire initially with water is a very effective tool. So is this a national or a state issue? What, is this issue better addressed at the state or national level? Both. It's both. You know, the, the, the national level, if there's a fire that starts, this is another problem. If the fire starts on state land and morphs into a fire on federal land, there's a separation uh, between state and federal. State firefighters, local firefighters, are have to be specifically qualified by the Forest Service to go on federal lands. So if you have, let's say... You have somebody who's on a local fire and it goes into federal land and he is a locally trained and they are trained. They're well trained. If he if he wants to help fight that fire, he can't go into federal land. Not allowed. He has to have a what they call a red card, which is a I guess it's a certification. You could call it like a certification of his physical uh, well being, so to speak. He's got to meet certain criteria in order to do that 
So that gives you, and then you have the problem of reimbursement for those services. And that has an impact on it. Can I say something here? Um, having done just a very limited amount of wildland firefighting um, in, uh, in Georgia, uh, and, you know, called in to back up the, uh, the local forest service and the uh, department of agriculture of firefighters. I don't see that humans have that great of an effect on stopping a wildland firefighter. They may be able to, uh, protect some property and, and set some very limited lines. But once these fires get out of control, uh, those guys are just putting up a fight and waiting for rain it, or humidity as near as I could tell. Um, so it would seem to me that the key to suppressing these things is getting on quick before they, uh, before they spread. And that's going to take aerial assets. Am I wrong? You are correct as well as mechanical assets. So our work indicates that with combination of the imaging technology that exists and is evolving, as well as the existing remote area, uh, monitoring stations that are stations throughout the U S wildfires can be predicted with 95% accuracy, 95%. So if, if you go to the state of Texas and you look at their wildfire map, which we've done and they'll show red spots and say, okay, there's a 95% chance yep. that a fire is going to occur at these coordinates at this particular time. If a lightning strike hits and 60% of our fires are caused by lightning, 40% yes. by humans. So if 60% of our fires can be predicted with some degree of accuracy, we ought to be all over it with prepositioned assets, in our opinion. Our opinion is that both aerial and mechanical assets can be prepositioned at those locations and be ready to put out the fires immediately. And when you talk about mechanical assets, you're talking about bulldozers. Bulldozers, bulldozers are the key piece of equipment in a fire suppression activity. There, uh, there is some extraordinary developments in the mechanization piece of it's, I won't say it's firefighting, but it is in fire prevention. It is in cleaning the forest, which is the second step after you put it out. Clean up the mess. Don't let it sit there. Um, there's machinery that's uh, available that can take a tree down in 30 seconds. The grab. Take, take a, a, a 50 inch tree down in nothing flat. Yeah, the grabbers that yep. the soils out. So, yeah. um, Let's talk a little bit about that forest management because uh, there seems to be a, a raging debate among uh, the the resource management people and the environmentalists of uh, whether or not uh, forest management uh, like we used to do, which entailed logging and uh, and management of the resource, um, is is effective at reducing the number and severity of these, these, um, these raging, um, huge wildfires. Where do you two come down on that debate? So we absolutely agree with that. We think that, that we're looking at the issue as a holistic solution. First put out the fire, but then immediately go in and clear the forest after that wildfire event. In addition, have an ongoing forest management activity for the, that 100 million acres, there are risks. So you're dealing with insect infestation, diseased trees, dead trees, and taking those out 
as well as the underbrush that's causing the fuels that are allowing the spark for that, that next lightning strike. And that's, nice. that's, a, that's a realistic plan to go after this, this problem. Um, unfortunately, the current strategy of the Forest Service, as announced by the so-called wildland fire crisis strategy, uh, is a far cry from where it ought to be in our view. You know, let me add something to, to what David's saying. We have the technology, um, and it, it's using the loggers who have been, pardon the pun, at loggerheads with the, the federal services for years uh, to, to help understand the eco-friendly equipment that they have to use, such as we talked about, the bunchers of the excavators, skijines, all those kind of things. Um, the there's no discussion between the two groups, which is unfortunate. I shouldn't say there's no. There's probably very little discussion between the Forest Service and, and the loggers. But there are, talking about technologies, there are tools in California, they're, they're fielding some of it now, to use AI to predict and model expected fire perimeters. That's that's evolving. It's not perfected, but it's evolving. Um, and as they start to clean out the forest, they can use that biomass to co-generate uh, uh, energy. You know, they can use it to to to, uh, to convert to natural gas, um, and just and to stop the use of fire retardant. Uh, to extinguish rather than to uh, control the perimeters. Um, there's, there are new technologies that would allow uh, the retardant, this is environmentally friendly retardant, or not retardant, I guess you could say extinguishing. Uh, uh, Agent. Yeah, agents, thank you very much. That can be used to do that. Uh, they can also, that also can be used to set up perimeters around uh, the areas where there is a, 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 a possibility for a fire. It's building a fire break around your house. Um, they are, they're used, I believe they're used in high-risk landscaping today to prevent fire ignition. Well, I wanted to touch a little bit on that fire break. Is it uh, just totally off of the table to uh, pre- um, create fire breaks before they're needed, uh, go in for a forest and section it off with fire breaks in place so that it, it would limit the spread of uh, these fires? I will tell you, David, David and I are smiling for a reason. It's a great story with this. Not terrific. Go ahead, David. Well, there it, David. So the, you know, fire break is a, unfortunately, the term clear cutting is, is a term that also goes with fire break. Um, very controversial among environmentalists and other groups. The Indian tribes have actually had much success in using fire breaks with their forest management practices. We're not necessarily endorsing that as a methodology, but fire break clearly could be used. Well, the environmentalists not understand if you don't have a fire break in place that you lose the whole forest. Well, that's... Set of areas where you clear cut a break. 
well, that's that's an option. And but even getting uh, well, having a discussion about that is, is like putting a, a road in a forest or maintaining the roads in the forest. There's 1,100 miles of roads, forest roads each year that go into re reforested areas because we don't maintain the forest area around. There isn't the funding. There's the funding and there's no interest because of this debate that goes on with the environmental. So you're losing 11, 11, 1,500 miles of road that would serve you well if there was a fire. I mean, you're looking at at, uh, at Canada. It's a, probably a kind of a half and half uh, problem because where the fires in Canada are, are they can't even, you can't even get to them. But where you can get to them, the roads exist, but they can't be maintained. And it's not just because of the local the locals, but it's also because of funding. Can I say, it, it sounds like maybe this debate is uh, misguided environmentalists who have more of a disdain for human intervention than they do love for the nature. Uh, because with, without some human intervention, we're losing millions and millions of acres of of fabulous uh, resource. It's just oh, one of the biggest impediments has been the legislation, the National Environmental Protection Agency the legislation, the NEPA Act, which limits the amount of uh, work that can be done in forests without a full blown EPA study. Those studies cost millions of dollars. They're eight hundred pages in length. Take ten years. And it takes years to get approvals, and as a result, the forest just sits until there's an approval, and then there's litigation once those approvals take place by activist groups and say, you can't do that. And so it gets tied up further and further and further. So people like Tom McClintock, Representative McClintock, have introduced legislation recently to call for an exclusion uh, to uh, up to 10,000 acres of forest land which NEPA wouldn't apply so that forest management activities can indeed occur. Those are typical types of things that are going on to describe the complexities of the issue. Well, I guess I'd just ask you all, we're, we're about out of time. I'll give, give you uh, both a, a turn to uh, to leave us with any closing thoughts on uh, how we could solve this, this problem. Jeff, uh, you want to go first? I would say that the use of evolving technology of which we have enormous capabilities that are just now being deployed, uh, hyperspectral uh, imaging could be an amazing tool for, uh, for the Forest Service. I think, that, uh, I think that David and I agree 100% because you can't do any more than that, is first put the fire out. Every decision comes out of that. It has to do with equipment, it has to do with personnel, it has to do with funding. All of those things matter, and they're critical to fighting the fire. David? It's a, it's a huge funding problem. Um, the funding problem, we think it's a 60 to $100 billion issue to fix that 100 million acres that I talked about earlier. So 60 to $100 billion is not going to come from the Forest Service or from federal coffers or state coffers soon. So well, that money's already being spent. It's just being spent in, uh, in costs incurred. Correct. Yeah. Costs incurred and not prevention. And yeah. forced management. 
Running Out of Time, Wildfires in Our Imperiled Forest by David Archibald and Jeffrey Lehman. If you uh, if you want to take a deep dive into this issue of wildland firefighting and what can be done, you'll want to get this book on Amazon. Well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being on today. Thank you, Jim. Thanks.